0: Hello and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word podcast dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and I'm here to tell you exactly what I think of some of the latest movies out right now. For this show, I'm reviewing a few relatively new films. I think one is brand new as in it came out the week of April 17th through April 20th. The other ones are not quite as new, but they've come out over the last couple of weeks. So this is my way of sort of playing catch up, especially considering that I didn't see a lot of brand, brand new films this week. Unfortunately, I just didn't have the time. So I am, I'm still seeing movies that are in theaters. Sometimes some of them are only available on streaming and ones that are relevant as well. So the first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is How to Blow Up a Pipeline. And this is not an instructional movie. I think it would be quite controversial if it was. It is an environmentalist action thriller, which IMDb tells me was made in 2022, not 2023. And was directed by Daniel Goldhaber who co-wrote the screenplay with two other people and it is real it relies on ideas advanced in the book of the same name written in 2021 by Andreas Malm and I have not read that book but after seeing the movie I'm very actually pretty curious to read the book although it's it's not an entire basis or rather the movie is not entirely based on on the book, or it's just inspired by it. And it's definitely a a movie that is going to raise some eyebrows, certainly. And it's about these Gen Z uh, activists who are rebels, who are taking the issue of climate change into their own hands, and some might say, very controversially. There are nine millennials, all of whom have their stories told in this movie, uh, we're, we're all given really good introductions to each and every one of them, but the two main protagonists are Theo and Zochi. Uh, Theo is played by Sasha Lane, and Theo is a woman, by the way. I'm not sure what Theo's full name would be, but that, that's indeed the, the name we're given. And Zochi is played by Ariella Barrer. And they are best friends, who are now in their 20s, who grew up in Long Beach, California, one of the most polluted cities in the United States and home to multiple oil refineries. Which is actually news to me. I've been to California, but I haven't been as south as Long Beach. But I would imagine a name like Long Beach would attract a lot of tourists, who might probably be disappointed. But, But anyway... When Zochi's mother dies during a surprise heat wave, which Zochi attributes to climate change, Zochi becomes disillusioned with the slow progress of her campus divestment campaign. She expresses interest in more radical environmental action to Theo, who has been diagnosed with leukemia. So Theo has pretty much nothing to lose. And Zochi does as. I, I think Zochi has a little bit more to lose considering that even though she doesn't have her mother, she at least has her health, but they eventually recruit another um, one of Theo's girlfriend, uh, one of, uh, another friend who is Theo's girlfriend, Alicia, who's played by Jamie Lawson and five strangers with their own motivations to join them in a plan to blow up an oil pipeline in West Texas. So to see these nine millennials actually go along with blowing up this pipeline is very thrilling, And, and it's certainly where the movie gets its most climactic scenes, especially when some things don't particularly go to plan. For example, there are several scenes where they put these explosive chemicals into this giant, actually a few, uh, giant barrels, giant tin barrels, and they strap the tin barrels onto the pipeline itself using these cloth straps, but they underestimate how heavy the barrels can actually be. And that's probably the, the point of the movie where it gets the most cataclysmic. And also you find that their livelihood and even their lives are at risks by doing this. And there's also some very good dialogue that pops up between these, uh, Gen Z activists where they're debating whether or not what they're doing is really good in the long run. And they also debate the definition of what it means to be a terrorist, which is probably one of the smartest, uh, parts of this movie, but that's not to say that the, resolution of what goes on down here isn't intelligent it really is it's a movie that definitely had me guessing and all the uh, the reason i say the the gen z members here are, are because not only are they actually uh part of gen z but also they um uh, it, sh- it should be noted that uh all of them act I- incredibly well I was vaguely familiar with most of the actors, although I do know a few of them. Sasha Lane, I know from such films as American Honey, for example. And Marcus Scribner is another one of the um, terrorists here, who I know probably best from the show uh, Blackish. And he also went on to be on one of the spin offs of Blackish Grownish. And he's a good actor. I really don't like his character in Blackish, but. I think that just goes to show you how good an actor he is if he makes me convinced how much I don't like him. But in this movie, I don't really know whose side I'm really on because, well, the idea of oil pipelines is quite controversial, especially their impact on the environment, not just in the long run with climate change, but also in the short run with the what if of what if a pipeline actually bursts, what's going to happen to the oil and, you know, who's going to clean it up. Those are all really valid questions and how to blow up a pipeline does not condone the actions of the protagonists in this film, but it also doesn't um, exactly say that it's a bad thing either. It takes on this subject of Gen Z taking climate change into their own hands uh, with i think um some rationality and also a non-judgmental point of view and i think that works very well within this film and i found myself s- sort of rooting for the antagonists here but at the same t- oh, excuse me the protagonist here but at the same time i definitely could see what the consequences of their actions would be in the the grand scheme of things And even though they're not hurting anyone, there's still consequences to their actions. So How to Blow Up a Pipeline is a movie where you probably are not on the sides of the protagonists, or you might be, who knows. But regardless, it's a movie that certainly not only keeps you on the edge of your seat, but also makes you think. I appreciated it for those reasons, in addition to telling a great story with really round characters behind whom you could certainly sympathize, if not empathize. So How to Blow Up a Pipeline gets my rating of a knockout. I think it's a very well-told story, and even though it's not directly... Based on the book of the same name by Andreas Malm, it does actually make me want to read the book to find out, especially since Malm's book is a work of nonfiction, because apparently there have been some people that have conspired to blow up pipelines in the United States. It certainly makes me want to know not just the who, but also the why, in addition to the how, because the how is the thrilling part. The why is what makes uh, the story go. So How to Blow Up a Pipeline is a film with which you may not agree regardless of your point of view of what is contributing to the human effects of climate change, but uh, it is certainly a movie that will keep you thrilled and make you think and both of those are great assets for a movie with this kind of title. To Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures, I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Quasi. This is a film that is brought to you by the Broken Lizard Pentat, who have brought us such films as Super Troopers, Club Dread, and Beer Fest. And this is Broken Lizard's first film since 2018 Super Troopers 2, which I thought was okay, but I... Definitely didn't think that it lived up to the original film, but I, I, I thought it was all right. I guess it was giving the fans what they wanted, but the original Super Troopers was certainly not only uh, funnier, but also um, told a better story. But Quasi has the Broken Lizard uh, Pentet um, taking their comic talents and their storytelling abilities to medieval times. The quasi in the film is actually uh, Quasimodo, who is the hunchback in the 1831 novel The Hunchback of Notre Dame by Victor Hugo. Is this is this movie based on The Hunchback of Notre Dame? Eh, not directly, but it almost acts as a sort of unofficial sequel where Quasimodo, who is known to his friends as Quasi, and he's played by Broken Lizard troop member... Steve Lemmy is living in medieval France and he yearns for love, but finds himself in the middle of a murderous feud between the Pope and the King of France when each orders the hunchback to kill the other. And the director of this film is Kevin Heffernan, who is a member of. Broken Lizard, and also plays two roles in the movie Quasi. In fact, every single member of Broken Lizard plays two member, uh, two characters in this film. And to their credit, they actually distinguish themselves from one another extremely well. Uh, Steve Lemmy not only plays Quasimodo or Quasi for short, but he also has another uh, uh, role as. Uh, a jester, which is obviously not as big a role, but it is very funny. And Steve Lemmy, uh, I haven't seen do any sort of mime work, but here he makes an argument for um, how good a, a mime <laughs> comedic actor he can be. Also, you, you have some other characters like, for example, uh, the quasi's best friend, Duchamp. Who's played by uh, Kevin Heffernan, who also plays the second, uh, or rather, the right-hand man to the King of France, Henry Francois, and the King of France, who's only known as King Guy, is played by Jay chantra Segar, who who's been in uh, several, I think, every Broken Lizard movie, and he's also done some directing work in non-Broken Lizard projects as well. And there's also the man with whom he has a feud, Pope Cornelius, who's played by Paul Soter, who also plays the, the ruler of the torture chamber within the, the French kingdom, whose name is Lucien. And last but not least, there's also Eric Stolhanseg, who plays Car- Cardinal Claude, who is right-hand man to Pope Cornelius, As well as a volunteer of the torture chamber named Michel. And the actors in the film not only speak English and maybe with a little bit of French in there but they also don't even try to put on french accents. And I actually think that's a very good move because none of the actors in this film are french and if they tried to put on french accents, I think it might be funny for the first 5 minutes but then eventually the the novelty would wear off. But I did actually like how they incorporated some french words as well as some very well-known french songs into the story themselves. Uh, for example, when they want to say yes, they say we um, in, in various points. And if I describe why it's funny, it won't be very funny either. But there's also another scene where they're in a tavern and they start to sing. But what do they sing but Frere Jaca? But the enthusiasm that the principal Broken Lizard members, as well as the other actors in this film and the extras, put into singing Frere Jaca in a bar is actually pretty funny because I think that's more of a children's song than it is a bar song. But within the context of this movie, it really works. And also while Quasi is, is in this conspira- conspiracy to kill either the king or the pope, he also begins um, a bit of a romance with the king's wife Queen Catherine, who's not the king's first wife and probably won't be his last either, either, and Queen Catherine, who is not French, um, I mean not born French, and the woman who plays her isn't French either, uh, is played by Adrian Palicki, and. Adrian Palicki is an actress who I haven't really known from other films. Maybe I've seen her in other movies and TV shows, but she plays definitely the straight person in this film, and I think she plays her very well, not to mention she's dynamic in her role and doesn't miss a beat. Unlike the Broken Lizard troupe, she doesn't wink or nod towards the camera, and I think that actually works for the comedic um, possibility for this film. So quasi definitely has taken a lot of inspiration from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, not only because it takes place in medieval times, but also because the principal comedic actors play multiple roles, and the Monty Python uh, influence is very obvious here, uh, just in terms of their their effort in getting the setting right, but also acknowledging the silliness of the plot as well as. American actors playing French people. And I think it works really well. I got a lot of laughs out of this film. Probably, definitely a lot more than Super Troopers 2, which I think was a bit more of a silly rehash of the original film that put Broken Lizard on the map. But this is probably the film, uh, the Broken Lizard film, at which I've laughed more than, uh, than any film they've done since Beer Fest, which I think still stands as their funniest film, but Quasi Quasi, is a film that definitely made me laugh because not not only is it an absurd plot with uh, a reference to Victor Hugo that didn't really have to be there, but all five members of Broken Lizard aren't afraid to be silly, but they also acknowledge that they're telling a cohesive and coherent story. So, Quasi gets my rating of a knockout. I really loved uh, Steve Lemmy as Quasimodo and also as the, the running gag of the jester who doesn't say anything but keeps getting hurt. I also really liked the pompous performances of Jay Chandrasekhar and uh, Eric, uh, I'm sorry, Paul Soter as the king, whose character is known as King Guy, and Pope Cornelius. Respectively, I thought that the the scenes were there, definitely having some sort of measuring contest. But I won't tell you what they're measuring, although it's not literal; it's more figurative. But the way they keep uh, going at one another is very funny, and I think a lot of effort had been put into this film, not just in terms of its budget, which is noticeably a bit higher than most other Broken Lizard um, movies, but also the they had this big budget without losing focus on the laughs as well as the story and I respect the hell out of Broken Lizard and the movie Quasi for that in addition to the fact that Quasi certainly made me laugh. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is a Spanish film, as in it's from Spain, called Phenomena, or in its Spanish title, Fenomenas. It is about three middle-aged women who investigate paranormal events and are put to the test when their lead father, Pilon, disappears. This is actually inspired by a real story. Uh, and it takes place in 1987, where these three middle-aged women are apparently having their most challenging um, paranormal investigation, especially when their their lead priest disappears, as I said. The director of this film is Carlos Theron, and the three main women in the cast of this film, Phenomena, include Belan R- Rueda, Gracia Olauwo, and... Tony Acosta, and this film is primarily horror, but there's also some surprisingly funny moments in a film that I wouldn't have expected with the cinematography uh, that it has. It definitely takes place at night, and not only that, but also on a dark and stormy night, and uh, it it shows these uh, three women taking these uh, paranormal investigations very seriously, but it also shows them being put to the test in terms of what they know about the paranormal world and also what the paranormal people who are haunting this particular house um, have to show them, which they probably didn't know before. It's a film where if you don't speak Spanish, you're probably going to read the bottom of the screen, the subtitles, Frequently, But I was uh, taken aback by how scary this movie was, especially considering that last week I saw the movie The Pope's Exorcist and was overall not particularly impressed with its take on an exorcism, which I'd seen in countless movies before, especially the 1973 movie The Exorcist. Here, this movie had what you might expect from three women being haunted by paranormal entities in a certain home. But it also had some surprises, not just based on the people who survived this paranormal encounter, but also the process by which these three women are investigating these paranormal entities. And this is a Netflix film. It is only on Netflix and it premiered on Netflix on April 14th, 2023. I'm a little bit late to the party in viewing it, but I was very impressed by this film. Um, and it is definitely a film that had me particularly scared. But there were also some surprisingly funny moments that I didn't expect. There's one particular part where uh, they're, they kind of hint at a horror movie cliche. And then there's another side character who kind of reveals that this horror movie cliche may not be um, <laughs> tied to the paranormal world, and the revelation behind that scene was uh, very funny to me, but th- this is a movie that certainly had me guessing, and it also had me uh, thrilled throughout, which is why I give this movie Phenomena, know, but known by its Spanish name, uh, Phenomenas, my rating of a knockout. I think that the three actresses, uh, Belen Rueda, Gracia Olao. Olayo and Tony Acosta work together extremely well. It, it certainly had their bef- a reflection of their archetypes, and the three of them know their <clears throat> paranormal subject very well, but they're also simultaneously put to the test. But Horror movies in general have probably covered just about every monster and every ghost there is, but when a movie like this comes about and not only brings on familiar territory, but also surprises you very much, not to mention scares you and makes you laugh when you least expect it, that's certainly a testament to the storytelling that happens in this movie, which is... I would imagine outside of the Hollywood system and probably a little bit more free to make some more of its own decisions, which is why I definitely recommend Phenomena very much. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is A Thousand and One, and this is a film that was released in select theaters on March 31st, 2023. It is the feature film directorial and screenwriting debut of A.V. Rockwell, and it premiered at the 2023 Sundance Film Festival on January 22nd, 2023, and won the esteemed Grand Jury Prize. So it is unlikely you will not hear from A.V. Rockwell again. But Focus Features released it in select theaters on March 31st, 2023 and released in theaters nationwide on April 7th, 2023. So I'm a little bit late to the party here, but I made absolutely sure to catch this film in theaters the the last day it was in my local theater, which is the uh, Belcourt Theater. That's my local art house theater, and it is probably my favorite movie theater in Nashville, and I hope it never goes away. But getting back to the movie at hand. So 1001 takes place from 1994 to 2005, and it focuses primarily on a young black woman from Harlem by the name of Ines de la Paz. And she's played by Tayana Taylor. And Tayana Taylor is not a household name, at least not yet, but she is a stunningly beautiful woman. Who, has, who is only uh, 32 years old, and she's not only an actress, but she's also a singer, dancer, and choreographer. And when she was only 16 years old, she actually choreographed the music video for Ring the Alarm by Beyonce. And while Ring the Alarm is not Beyonce's best-known song, I think it's probably one of her best, and the music video is quite dynamic. But here, Teyana Taylor, who has been in other movies before, like the sequel to 1988's Coming to America, Coming Number 2 America, uh, where she played a relatively small role, but still a dynamic one, this is her first movie where she takes center stage. And Ines, her um, character in this film, is somebody who has just gotten out of prison and she kidnaps her son Terry from the foster care system after an accident that her son Terry had experienced. And Terry in this movie is played by three people. At the age of six, he's played by Aaron Kingsley Adetola. At the age of 13, he's played by Avon Courtney. And at the age of 17, near the end of the film, he's played by Josiah Cross. But Ines kidnaps uh, Terry and sets out to reclaim their sense of home, identity, and and stability in a rapidly changing New York City. And it shows that they're living in Harlem, which is part of Manhattan, but in the late 90s, Harlem was not part of the uh, ever-changing island of Manhattan, and the movie shows that as the years go by, and this is certainly true to this day, New York City is changing, and some might argue not particularly for the better because of gentrification. And that is one of the main themes here. At first, you're, you you might be thinking as you're watching the film that this movie is about a mother who becomes a fugitive when she kidnaps her biological son from foster parents, But eventually, it kind of delves into something different. But then eventually, Ines gets married and gives her only child a more stable home life. So you might think that this film is about the son getting along with his stepfather, and it doesn't quite go there either. And then eventually you find out how Terry is doing in school, and you think it it might be about him getting out of poverty and making a better life and a name for himself than his mother. And it eventually moves on from there. But there is a certain twist in the end, which I won't give away, that really shakes this movie's primary characters to their foundation and really makes you think about the beginning of the film where Ines kidnaps her son, what her motivations were. And it is altogether a very dynamic and unpredictable drama with Tayana Taylor turning in a career defining performance granted there are other actors in this film who are great as well including the man who Ines uh, marries his name is Lucky that's his character's name and he's played by Will Catlett but the rela- the the, the grounding performance of Teyana Taylor definitely makes this movie. It, it could have gone a lot of different ways. And with Teana Taylor's performance in particular, it could have been, um, a, a great movie regardless of the story it was, um, uh, telling, but I did really appreciate how unpredictable this movie was where you think, Based on certain storytelling elements, particularly amongst films with a primarily African-American cast, it could go one way or another based on other Hollywood movies we've seen. But this movie has presumably been made outside the Hollywood system, and I think that probably serves as an asset for it. It certainly has been an asset critically, as it's won the Grand Jury Prize at the Sundance Film Festival, but despite the prizes that it has won already, and probably Probably the prizes that it will win going into the next award season, which is going to be months from now. It's still an incredible film that is very well acted. And while I don't have any experience with any of the things that the characters are experiencing in this movie, because I didn't grow up where these characters, or even in a place that resembles where these characters grow up, I could still sense a, a lot of gritty realism in this film but without it being exploitative either which is why 1001 gets my rating of a knockout now why is the movie called the 1001 as opposed to how it's supposed to be called 1001 1001 not not the latter but definitely the former well the movie does emphasize that a, a little bit sort of towards the end of the first act of this film as the child Terry is coming a little bit more of age and her and his mother Ines is becoming uh, a little bit more grounded and getting herself a bit more settled and giving her son a bit more stability. But I really love the storytelling here. I love the set design, but I most especially loved the acting. And Tiana Taylor is an actress that I'm really looking forward to seeing in future films, and I will see the next movie that A.V. Rockwell will direct, which hopefully will come out in a few years. Of course, we will see. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've reviewed all the movies that I have to review for you for this show, it's now time for me to get into my final segment, which is what's coming up next. This is a spoken word preview of movies that are subject to being released in theaters and or on streaming for the week of April 24th through 28th, 2023, the last full week in April. And then, uh, of course... The next week, we, uh, we're we getting into May already, and 2023 is certainly going by quite quickly, but hopefully not too quickly. But on April 25th, there are two films that are likely to be released on streaming rather than in theaters. The first movie is a horror thriller film called The Tank. And this movie is about uh, a boy by the name of Ben who, after mysteriously inheriting an abandoned coastal property... He and his family accidentally unleash an ancient, long-dormant creature that terrorized the entire region, including his own ancestors, for generations. Now, at first I was thinking, what an amazing real estate deal. I mean, inheriting coastal property? Yeah, sign me up. But yeah, I guess it's kind of one of those things where it's be careful what you wish for. The movie is uh, directed by and written by Scott Walker and stars Lucian Buchanan, Matt Whelan, and Mark Mitchinson. So a couple of uh, familiar names there. It is a film that certainly looks particularly scary from the poster, but of course I would have to see the movie for myself to determine if it is in fact as scary as the poster promises it is. But I will let you know what I think if I see it on a future show. The other movie that is subject to being released in theaters and or on streaming for April 25th, which is a Tuesday, is Hungry Dog Blues. This is not a musical. This is a crime film. Although, yeah, I would love to see this as a musical. But it's about a a small town in rural Missouri, uh, about two estranged half-brothers who live there, who kidnap the lead witness against their incarcerated father in order to prove his innocence. The director and writer of this film is Jason Abrams, and the stars of the movie include Amy Hargreaves, Irini Gorovaya, C.J. Wilson, and Jason Abrams, amongst other people. So Jason Abrams not only directs and writes this movie, he also co-stars in it. And there are only nine actors who are listed on the main roster. So this movie might look a little bit more like a one act or rather a stage play where there aren't very many um, location changes, but it still looks like an intriguing film. I can't guarantee whether or not I'll see it, but I'll let you know what I think if I do see it on a future show. Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters and actually on streaming for April 26th, 2023, which is a Wednesday is a movie that's called Kiss Kiss. Kiss. And this is a movie that may not be premiering in a theater near you, but it will be available on Netflix on Wednesday, April 26th, 2023. It's directed by Tomasz Konecki, who is Polish, I believe. Yes, he is a native of Warsaw, Poland. And Kiss Kiss, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Polish name of this film, But it's about a relentless womanizer who will do anything to win the heart of a beautiful stranger, even if she, yeah, a womanizer who's a she, that's an interesting twist, in just two weeks' time is about to walk the aisle to say yes to another guy. Okay, so maybe the beautiful stranger, uh, wait a second, okay, so I don't know if the beautiful stranger is a man or a woman, but the woman is a womanizer who's about to get married to a guy. That sounds really juicy. And even though I'm not a guy who really gets off on gossip, I do get off on a really good story, particularly a movie that is a romantic comedy. Uh, the actors in this film are all Polish, so I can't exactly say whether or not they're um I've I've seen them in other things. My guess is probably not, but this is a movie that I probably will see. And if I do see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. But April 28th is a day where there are a lot of other films that are um, uh, probably going to be released in theaters near you. The most likely film to be released in the theater near you is a movie that's called Sisu, which is an action and a war film. And it's about an ex-soldier who discovers gold in the Lapland wilderness Uh, And he tries to take the loot into the city where Nazi soldiers led by a brutal SS officer battle him. Now, I don't know any of the actors in this movie off the top of my head. They include uh, Jorma Tomila, Axel Henny, Jack Doolin, and Mimosa Willamo. But other than that, I don't I don't know these actors or um, I, I probably couldn't tell you any other actors who are in this film. I can tell you that the movie is written by and directed by Jomari Hellander, whose name does not sound particularly American. And that's because it's not because Jomari Hellander is a Finnish director. He's from Finland. But man, this movie sounds amazing. I don't know, because this is probably a finished film, if this movie is going to be released in theaters near me. I'm checking, actually, my release calendar to see if it's coming out on Netflix, and it isn't. But this is a movie that I really, really want to see. It's probably coming out in an house theater near me. If I see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show, because... The idea of one man hiding gold and taking on the Nazis sounds amazing. I can't tell whether or not this is a true story or if it's fiction, but any guy who battles Nazis is good in my book. So Sisu is the name of the movie and I may see it, but I'll let you know what I think about it if I do see it on a future show. Another movie that is, that is more likely to be coming out of the theater near you is a movie that's called Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And if that name of the movie sounds familiar to you, it's probably because it's the name of a best-selling book written by Judy Blume. And this is a book that I did not read when I was a kid. Actually, I do remember I tried to check it out of the library, and the librarian, with good intentions, actually said to me, I don't think you'd like this book. It's it's a little bit more of a girl's book. So she recommended some other Judy Bloom books uh, uh, to me as well. I think she recommended Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, which was a very good book. Judy Bloom is an amazing writer, not just an amazing children's book writer, and This movie has probably been in development hell for some time because I know a lot of people, not just kids, also adults who grew up reading this book, but I actually do kind of want to read it now, but anyway... Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret is about an 11-year-old girl named Margaret who's coming of age, particularly when her family moves from the city, from the city to the suburbs, and she navigates new friends, feelings, and the beginning of adolescence, which probably means that she's going to be getting her first period very soon. So, looking back, I can kind of understand why my librarian decided uh, against having me read this book, um, but... Now that I am a, a more grown, I'm 40 years old, I might be able to go back and and read this book. But I have read other books by Judy Judy Bloom like Tales of Fourth Grade Nothing as I Said as well as its sequels, uh, Fudge Mania and Super Fudge. In addition to uh, then again maybe I won't. The latter of which I really love. That was an excellent book even though I mean as an adult I can read that in about a day. But anyway, Margaret the titular character in this book uh, in this movie is played by Abby Ryder Fortson who I honestly don't know but man some of the uh, supporting actors in this film are excellent. You have Academy Award nominee Rachel McAdams, Academy Award winner Kathy Bates and Benny Safdie who I don't think has won an Academy Award yet. But, um, he and his brother, Josh Safty have certainly made some excellent underground films. So this is a movie that I believe I will see, and I might not be able to, um, sympathize with it, but if I do see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future film on a future show, not a future film. No, there is no words on film, the movie coming out, but maybe, yeah, maybe someday, but not anytime soon. Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters on April 28th is a movie that's called The Black Demon. Not the most original name, and given the roster of acting talent on it, it might not be coming out in a theater near you, but according to the poster, it is only in theaters. It's, it's about a family who is stranded on a crumbling rig in Baja, which is in Mexico, and they face off a g- event against a vengeful mega- megalodon Shark. Yeah, so Megalodon means that the shark is huge, probably about the size of a whale. And that's not a good combination. Uh, I don't know if Megalodon sharks actually exist or if they ever did exist. I don't know if they're still around to this day, but this movie is probably not keen on being scientifically accurate. The stars of the movie include Josh Lucas, Fernanda Yorehola. Uh, Julio Cesar Cedillo, and Raul Mendez, amongst other people. Uh, Josh Lucas is the only actor who I know particularly well, and it's a movie that I might see, but I'm probably not going to make it my first choice. But if I do see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Also coming out in theaters, or subject to being released in theaters on April 28th, is a biographical film called Big George Foreman, the miraculous story of the once-and-future heavyweight champion of the world. This is a movie I'm eager to see because I have the utmost respect for George Foreman, especially considering he, as well as Roberto Duran and a few other boxers, are amongst the only boxers who are still boxing in their 40s and still um, making a name for themselves in the boxing world. But it's a lot of people forget now, especially with George Foreman's um, on-screen persona as well as his entrepreneurial spirit selling uh, grills, amongst other things. Uh, George Foreman, when he was first starting out as a boxer and when he, when he was uh, on his way to becoming the heavyweight champion of the world, he was intimidating. I mean, now he's a big teddy bear, but yeah, in the very beginning when his rivals included Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali, he was a force with which to be reckoned. He was definitely no pushover and to have a 20 or 30 year career, a year career in boxing like George Foreman has, of course you wouldn't, you know, be a, a pushover, but yeah, a lot of people forget how intimidating George Foreman was when he was starting out in the early seventies. But as you might imagine, big George Foreman is about the life and boxing career of George Foreman from when to when, I don't exactly know. But in this movie, George Foreman is portrayed by Chris Davis, and to be honest with you, I'm not entirely familiar with Chris Davis, but the movie also co-stars Jasmine Matthews, Sullivan Jones, Lawrence Gilliard Jr., and Forrest Whitaker. So you have a definitely a very good cast there. Uh, I could look up the previous repertoire of Chris Davis, but... I'm interested to see Big George Foreman. I'm wondering if they're going to cover the uh, Rumble in the Jungle, which was George Foreman's arguably most famous fight, which he lost. But, and he he said he went through a two-year depression after losing that match, and who could blame him for that? But he was actually present 23 years later at the Academy Awards when the movie about Rumble in the Jungle, When We Were Kings, Won the Academy Award for Best Documentary. He and Muhammad Ali actually went on stage uh, at the Academy Awards to be given honorary Academy Awards themselves. So that was probably a bit of a blessing in disguise to lose for George for to for George Foreman to lose that match. It definitely paid off for him in the long run, and you know, George Foreman is still doing well to this day. Um, so for that reason, I have the utmost respect for. George Foreman being part of Muhammad Ali's legacy, maybe not the legacy that he intended, but I'm getting off on a tangent here. Big George Foreman is a movie that will be probably in theaters on April 28th, 2023. It's a movie that I will see and I will review it for you on a future show. Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters on April 28th, although probably in select theaters is a movie that's called Polite Society. This is an Indian film. I can't tell you whether it's a Bollywood film or a Tollywood film, but I'm guessing it's a Bollywood film. It's directed by and written by Nita Manzoor, but as Focus Features promises, and Focus Features is the American distributor of this film, this is not your typical Bollywood film. It's about a woman by the name of Rhea Khan who believes that she must save her older sister, Lena, from her impending marriage. After enlisting her friend's help, she attempts to pull off the most ambitious of all wedding heists in the name of independence and sisterhood. Now, does this mean a song and dance? Uh, it might, but I'm not going to reveal for you what it actually um, entails, but... Usually, I frankly, I ignore a lot of Bollywood and Tollywood films, but this movie looks particularly promising. And I'm not just saying that because an American company is distributing that, although that is an asset. But I give every movie a chance. It, it just seems like among the Bollywood films that I've seen, a lot of them are more or less the same. Of course, there are some standouts like Monsoon Wedding, Bride and Prejudice, Slumdog Millionaire, and the list goes on. Although Slumdog Millionaire is a movie with Indian actors in it, not a Bollywood film, although it does pay tribute to some Bollywood films. It's directed by Danny Boyle, who's British. But anyway, Polite Society stars Priya Kansara as Ria and Ritu Arya as her sister, Lena. It looks like an intriguing film, and from what I can tell, there aren't a ton of other actors in the film who are not Indian, but it's a movie that I will see sooner or later, and I'll let you know what I think on 1830. Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, and I'm into my second segment of What's Coming Up Next. This is where I review or give a spoken word preview of the movies that are subject to being released on streaming this time, sometimes exclusively, for the week of April 24th through April 28th, 2022. On Tuesday, April 25th, this is a film that's not premiering on Netflix, but it will be making another appearance on Netflix, and that movie is The Hateful Eight. It's going to be appearing on Netflix in its original theatrical form, in addition to its episodic extended version form. I've seen both versions. They're both excellent. I really appreciated what they did with the extended version, making it a serial as opposed to just one movie, and I really... I, probably, uh, I, I can't exactly tell which one was better than the other. I think that the Hateful Eight, which was uh, the original version, which was three hours in and of itself, and had an intermission upon its original theatrical release, was definitely worth watching on the big screen. And unfortunately it bombed at the box office just because Quentin Tarantino put a lot of effort into a making it an Epic film and B screening it in 70 mil, uh, 70 millimeter film, which is not cheap to do. I think Quentin Tarantino's efforts artistically were well worth it. Financially, it unfortunately wasn't, but I still commend Quentin Tarantino for going all the way. And I do think that history will commend him as well. But The Hateful Eight will be appearing in its original form as well as its its serialized extended version on Netflix on Tuesday, April 25th, so check it out. On Wednesday, April 26th, as I said in the previous segment, Kiss Kiss will be uh, uh, premiering on Netflix. It's a Polish film that's a romantic comedy, and it definitely looks very intriguing, and yeah, it looks sexy as well. And there is one film that will be appearing on Netflix on Thursday, April 27th. This is not just appearing, but will be premiering on Netflix on that day. And the movie is The Matchmaker. Now, there have been some movies that have been called Matchmaker before. There was one film that came out in 1997, uh, which is a cult favorite that starred Janine Garofalo and David O'Hara. But this film, The Matchmaker, is about an office worker who becomes powerfully infatuated with his beautiful intern... Ooh, that's, that's risky. And he follows her to a desert resort overrun with bizarre focuses, uh, excuse me, bizarre forces. I, I made a mistake. Uh, the movie is middle Eastern. The director of the film is Abdul Mohsen al I really hope I pronounced that name correctly. And this man is uh, Saudi Arabian. So the movie is presumably Saudi Arabian too. But man, this this is a risky uh, movie. It's a drama, mystery, and thriller that probably has some sexy elements to it as well. It sounds intriguing. It's a movie that I might see. And if I do, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. There's also another movie premiering on Netflix that's called AKA. And this is an American film. And it is about a steely special ops agent who finds his morality put to the test when he infiltrates a crime syndicate and unexpectedly bonds with the boss's youngest son. The movie was co-written and directed by Morgan S. Dalibert, and Eric Cantona is in the lead in this film. This looks very thrilling. I can't say whether or not it's going to be good, but if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Words on Film. I always love talking about movies, and I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and rate the show and leave comments if you can. I would love to get your feedback, even if it's more criticism than praise. This has been Words on Film. I'm Dan Burke, and until my next episode, I'll see you at the movies.